very much, men, for that ministry in music. This morning, we are going to be celebrating communion together. And so I'm going to take this opportunity to simply explain communion once again, to prepare our hearts for the partaking of the Lord's Supper. If you would, if you'd turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we find this section that teaches us concerning the Lord's Supper. So our theme this morning is an explanation of communion. An explanation of communion. First of all, the institution of communion explained. Communion is unique because it is instituted by the Lord himself. If you look at verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11, it says, For I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you. So communion is not simply the product of tradition or the church. It was not the idea of some council that gathered together and thought it might be good for a celebration to take place and decided upon communion. Rather, communion itself was established by the Lord Jesus Christ. And communion, like Passover before it, is grounded in an historical event. It is sourced in the observance of the Passover meal with Jesus' disciples. The time of communion's institution is given to us in this text, for it tells us that communion was instituted on the very night that Jesus was betrayed. Verse 23. I received from the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, and now these words, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. The night in which he was betrayed. There are a number of time elements that are given to us in the Word of God. One of the significant aspects, as I just mentioned, is that Passover was taking place. And it was in association with Passover that Jesus institutes communion. It, in fact, was a part of that Passover meal. But Jesus brought a new and greater significance to Passover in instituting the Lord's Supper. But in our text, the emphasis is that it was on the very night in which Jesus was betrayed. So what is the significance of that account? That it is the very night in which Jesus is betrayed. I believe because it puts the betrayal of Jesus in a proper perspective. It tells us in verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Central to the communion service is the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ. And it was on the very night that he was betrayed that he instituted this observance, which was to proclaim the meaning and significance 
of his death. And so what we want to emphasize right now is that Christ's death was not just the product of some dastardly deed that was conceived by Judas. It was not just the result of the hatred of the religious leaders of Jesus. It wasn't just a bad set of circumstances that unfortunately worked themselves out, resulting in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the death of Christ was the plan of God. And all that I just referred to was a part of that plan. In Acts 2.22, it states, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as yourselves know. This man, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. So yes, there were godless people such as Judas. The betrayal took part. But as Acts tells us, that was all part of God's predetermined plan and foreknowledge. Nothing took Jesus by surprise. Even when Jesus chose Judas as a disciple, he chose Judas knowing that Judas would betray him. And he chose Judas for that very reason. For that very reason. Because Judas needed to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. So it was in the plan of God. The manner of taking communion explained. There are four verbal ideas surrounding Jesus' serving communion in this section. So I want to look at those four verbal ideas. First, Jesus took bread, verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night which is betrayed, took bread. The bread represented the body of Christ. Verse 24. When he given thanks, he broke and said, This is my body, which is for you. This do in remembrance of me. So the body represented by the bread. We'll say more about that in a few moments. Secondly, Jesus gave thanks. Verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Another word that is sometimes used for communion and in high churches, sometimes you hear communion referred to as the Eucharist. The Eucharist. And it is referred to as the Eucharist because it's a transliteration of the Greek word Eucharisto, which is the word to give thanks. So the Eucharist is the giving of thanks. And so some churches emphasize that that giving of thanks by calling it the Eucharist. Well, certainly, communion is a time to give thanks unto God for the salvation that we enjoy, for the benefits that come to us through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is interesting that Jesus himself, on the very night that he is being betrayed, is giving thanks to God for God working out 
His plan of redemption. The giving of thanks. Next, Jesus distributed the bread. Verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Now we're looking at this word, broke it. Broke it. Probably there was a common loaf. Uh, and uh, he broke pieces off of that common loaf and distributed it. But I keep using the word distribute because I believe that is what is primarily in view when it says that he said, this is my body, which is broken or distributed for you. It is not likely that the breaking of the loaf portrayed the breaking of Christ's body in any sense. In fact, John's gospel comments on the fact that Christ's bones were not broken. John 19.31 The Jews, therefore, because it was the day of preparation, so that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was the high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. The soldiers, therefore, came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other man who was crucified with him. Remember, there were two thieves that were crucified with Jesus, one on his left, one on his right. Both of them, the soldiers came and broke their legs so that they would, they would die. Uh, they didn't want them to be hanging on the cross any longer. The real means by which a person died on the cross was one of suffocation. Suffocation. They would die because they would no longer be able to breathe. And one of the, the cruel aspects of the cross was that as a person would be arms stretched out on the cross, and uh, it's not portrayed on the cross that is behind us, but if you see many times in the pictures, there's a, a ledge on the cross where the feet would rest. And so the arms would be out. And if remember, Jesus is nailed to the cross in his wrist area. And his feet were nailed and would have been on this ledge. And a person hanging like that would not be able to breathe without pushing themselves up. They would have to actually use their legs and push themselves up in order to be able to breathe. And so they broke the legs of those on the cross so that they no longer would be able to push themselves up and they would then suffocate. But Jesus, we are told, had died before they came along and broke the legs of those on the cross. Verse 19, chapter 19, verse 33 of John. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately there came out blood and water. Now John takes pains to point out that not only were the bones of Jesus not broken, but the fact that they were not broken was a fulfillment of prophecy. John 19.35 And he who is seen has borne witness, and his witness is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so, so that you all would believe. 
For these things came to pass, that the scripture might be fulfilled, not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. There's no contradiction here. The scripture is just simply saying that the body of Jesus Christ was being distributed to the disciples. And then Jesus interpreted the significance of communion. Verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, and said, this is my body, which is for you. This do in remembrance for me. It is what Jesus said that serves as the greatest significance of communion. What Jesus says about what he is doing. So next we want to look at what Jesus said. As a summary of what Jesus said explained, Paul summarizes Jesus as having said three things. First, Jesus said, this is my body. Notice verse 24. When he given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. He's referring to the loaf that he just distributed. He's referring to this bread. And he said, this is my body. Now, this expression that the bread is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ has been a source of controversy throughout church history. What was Jesus asserting when Jesus said that this is my body? Well, first, there is a view that is known as transubstantiation. It is the Roman Catholic doctrine of communion. And it is the belief of the Roman Catholic Church that the elements of communion actually are transformed. That the body actually becomes the physical body of Jesus Christ and that the cup actually, the wine actually becomes the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that you are physically eating the physical body of Jesus Christ and you are physically drinking of the physical blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in that view, communion is really a sacrifice. A sacrifice. It's an ongoing sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ every time you take communion. That is the big difference between a cross and a crucifix. If you walk into a Roman Catholic church, you'll see a crucifix in which Jesus is portrayed as on the cross. You walk into a Protestant church and you will see an empty cross. For the emphasis is that Christ is down off of that cross. It is also why a Catholic clergyman is referred to as a priest. And we refer to our clergy as pastors. Because I don't perform any priestly function. I'm not offering a sacrifice this morning when I offer to you communion. We are not crucifying again. We are not transforming the elements into the very body and blood 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's transubstantiation. That is the Roman Catholic view. Then there is consubstantiation, which is most uh, clearly seen within the Lutheran view. In the aspect of consubstantiation, it is contended that Christ's body and blood are present in, with, and under the bread and wine. But the substances of the bread and wine do not change. Consubstantiation is a very, very difficult doctrine to understand. Is to exactly what is being said. But Martin Luther rejected the teaching of the Catholic Church on transubstantiation. So he referred to consubstantiation. And the best way that I can explain it is to use the illustration that Martin Luther himself used. He said, as you place a poker into the fire. So, so think of a, a fireplace. Think of an iron poker. He said, as you place the poker in the fire and the poker glows and becomes hot and changes, but does not become a part of the fire, so too communion takes upon the elements, the nature of the body and blood of Christ, but does not actually become the body and blood of Christ. Then there's still a third view, which is the view of the Bible Fellowship Church, and that, and many other churches, and that is that the elements do not change in any sense. They are bread, and in our instance we use Grape juice is the fruit of the vine as opposed to wine. But it is, it is still bread and it is still grape juice. It doesn't change, but Christ is with us in a mystical sense. Christ is with us in a mystical sense. I believe that taken in context you can readily determine what is meant by the text. Okay. Now, it would be argued by some that the text does not say that the bread is like the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says the bread is the body of the Lord. This is my body. But if you remember from English grammar, there are two forms of comparison. There are similes that use like or as, so that we can talk about the sun like a fire. That's a simile. Or we can use a metaphor, which is a comparison absent. Absent, like or as. Such as Herod that fox. That's a metaphor. Herod wasn't really a fox, but he was like a fox because he was cunning, because he was wise. I think it's clear to see that this is a metaphor for two reasons. First, because Jesus is physically present when he's distributing these elements. It would be clear to his disciples when he is handing them a piece of bread, what he is saying. 
when they are receiving from the physical hand of Jesus a bread element that he is saying, this is my body, they don't think that that bread is going to be immediately transformed. They're seeing the body before him. You understand what I'm saying? So the context makes it clear that Jesus in his bodily state is saying, this is like my body. This is representing my body. This is a symbol of my body. And then the clincher for me is in the next statement, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, um, verse 25, in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Nobody thinks that the cup became the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's what he refers to. He doesn't say this blood. He doesn't say this wine is my blood. He doesn't say this grape juice is my blood. He says this cup is my blood. Obviously a metaphor for what the cup holds. It is symbolically holding the Blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're talking about symbols here this morning. We're not talking about realities. We're not physically eating the body of Jesus in any way. And we're not physically drinking of the blood of Jesus in any way. These are symbols of the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it tells us that the cup was to be taken in the same manner. Verse 25. In the same way he took the cup also. So in the same way that he took the, the bread. It was distributed, it was prayed for, etc., etc. What is emphasized is what is said. Verse 25. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So the cup symbolized the new covenant, which is the acceptance with God that came through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The new covenant. It's referred to in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33. We all are aware of the new covenant. When you think of your, your Bibles, it's divided into two parts. We have the Old Testament and we have the New Testament. A good word that could have been used is the Old Covenant the New Covenant. That's what is meant by the Old Testament, by the, New, by the New Testament. It's the Old Covenant, the New Covenant. Jesus came to establish a new covenant. Listen to the words of Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Here's a quotation from the Old Testament. I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them upon their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his uh, neighbor. Uh, and brother saying, know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest of them, 
For I'll be merciful to their iniquities, and I'll remember their sins no more. The essence of the new covenant is there is no more remembrance of sins. That is huge. No more remembrance of sins. Because every year, on the Day of Atonement, there would be a remembrance of sins. There would be a sacrificed animal that would be slain in order to atone or cover for the sins of the people. But Hebrews makes it clear that the blood of goats and bulls can't take away sin. And so they were remembered every year that those sins weren't dealt with. Which brings me to the third point. Let me jump to there. Notice in verse um, 23. For I received from the Lord that which also I delivered from you, that the Lord Jesus, the night which is betrayed, took prayed, and he given thanks, he broke and said, this, do, this, my, this is my body which uh, is for you. Now these words, this do in remembrance of me. Verse 25, in the same manner also he took the cup also that after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In remembrance of me. The point here is that every year there would be a remembrance of sins. That those sins weren't dealt with. That they weren't completely removed. But in Jesus Christ, they're removed. So we no longer are remembering our sins, but we were remembering the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are ever to keep before us the reality that our sins are forgiven once and for all. For notice the second thing that Jesus said. In verse 24. And when he given thanks, he broke and said, This is my body, which is for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. It is Jesus Christ and his shed blood that removes our sin. And our sin is remembered no longer. The central theme of communion is this remembrance. Notice it's said in verse 24, this do in remembrance of me. And then repeated in verse 25 concerning the cup. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The centrality of communion is to reflect upon the significance of Christ's life and death and resurrection. It focuses upon him. So the purpose of the Lord's Supper. Why do it? Why did he establish it? The first thing I would point out to you is it in no way removes sin. The partaking of communion 
does not remove sin or make you holy in any way. That's completely absent from the text. There's nothing that says that. In fact, the warning is if you partake of it unworthily, then you are going to bring judgment upon yourself. So, there's no blessing, if you will, in partaking of it worthily, but, but a great condemnation for taking it in an unworthy manner. Notice the significance, verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, here's the significance, here's the reason. You proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. That's why Jesus established communion as a tool to proclaim the significance of his death. So that the church would ever remember the essential aspect of the gospel is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection. And the resurrection is found in these words. Verse 26, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. There's the resurrection. He's risen and he's coming again. And so now the purpose of communion is to proclaim that Jesus died, rose again, and is coming again. That's what we're doing when we're taking communion. We are proclaiming that truth. That Jesus Christ died and rose again. The expression to proclaim is the word to herald or sound forth. We partake of communion once a quarter. Some churches do it every Sunday. Some churches take communion once a month. We do it once a quarter. I like that. For the reason being that there is a tendency, I'm not saying every church does this, but there is a difficulty in, if you take communion all the time, that to constantly be proclaiming the death and nothing else about the Lord Jesus Christ. I like the fact that we do it quarterly because we focus every time, every time we take communion, we focus on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ because that is its purpose. And the reason it gives is so that we would proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reason. Jesus wanted to assure the fact that the gospel would always be proclaimed. That the message would never be lost. That we'd always understand the significance of Jesus' death and resurrection. He died in order to save people from their sins. And the only way that we can be saved from our sins is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father 
but by me. To me, it's so clear. If it were possible for somebody to be saved some other way, then it would have been unreasonable for Jesus to die. Jesus died because he had to die. There was no other way. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. This is my blood, which is for you. Which is for you is an important statement in our text. The atoning power of Christ's death is of infinite value and is offered to all. It is available to anyone who turns to Christ in faith, confession, and repentance. If you want to be forgiven this morning of your sins, you can be forgiven. However, in the words of the Lord's Supper, Christ said that he was laying down his life for a particular group of people, his followers. His suffering atoned only for the sins of those that would believe. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, your sins are forgiven. If you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins aren't forgiven. And Jesus, in his great wisdom, gave us a symbolic way of making that absolutely clear. Because in just a moment, we're going to partake of communion. The scripture warns. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, then you take of communion. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't partake of communion. You see, because you have no part in it. The body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ does not benefit you. Your sins are not forgiven. In partaking of communion this morning, you are saying... I believe in Jesus' death and resurrection for the forgiveness of my sins. And I partake as a way of demonstrating my faith in Jesus Christ. So this morning, if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that through him and him alone, your sins are forgiven and you enjoy peace with God, we invite you to partake of communion. But if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, we ask that you refrain from partaking of communion. Not because of any rule that we have as a local church, but because of the institution that Jesus himself established. But the good news this morning is, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can today. Today can be the day in which you say, I don't trust in myself my goodness, my righteousness for my salvation, for my going to heaven, for my being accepted by God, I'm trusting in Jesus Christ and Him alone. His death, His resurrection. If that is your testimony this morning, you're welcome to take of communion. You don't need to be a member of the church. This is not the communion table of the Bible Fellowship Church. It's the communion table of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is coming again, which is the assertion. Do this as often 
as ye drink it in remembrance for me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. When Christ comes, there will no longer be any opportunity for salvation. When Christ returns, it's the time of judgment. It's the time of standing before Him. It's the time of decision of God. It's the distinction between entering into His presence or banished from Him forever. Serious business. Serious business. Until He comes... You have the opportunity to place faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But don't put it off. You don't know when you're going to die. You don't know what's going to take place in your life. If today you are convicted, if today you know that you are a sinner and you need forgiveness, then today ask God to forgive you based on the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will, he will receive you. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray that you'd be with us this morning as we partake of communion. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the truth where two or three are gathered together. There you are in the midst. And I pray for any today who are here who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their, as their Savior. May today be that day when they place their faith and trust in you. May they acknowledge their need of a Savior. May they acknowledge that it is only through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that sins are going to be able to be forgiven and that peace can be known with God. Lord, be with any who do not know you this day. May they, pay, may they place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in so doing, be able to take communion. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.